Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard legs good two legs bad it's episode number 27 of the most unnecessary podcast you can't stop listening to it's eric roberts is the fucking man i'm doug tilly and with me as always is the man of the hour one mr liam o'donnell how you doing today liam i'm good how are you liam is the countdown on is your is your incoming nuptials how how, how, how long do we have until this is going to happen literally saturday so what three days from now four days from now i'm bad so, at math. so that means that when people are listening to this I'll have gone through the ceremony. Yes, I'm already married, but I'll have mm-hmm. gone through the 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 uh, sentimental yet ultimately meaningless ceremony. Now, your mother, uh, who I don't know, but she seems like a wonderful woman. <laughs> uh, you uh, you mentioned on Facebook today a quote from her about one's own wedding. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So um, I was explaining that I was really exhausted from stress because there's just been a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I said, you know, everyone says I should just have fun. And she just kind of scoffed at that. She says, no, nobody has fun at their wedding. You, you have fun at, at other people's weddings, but you don't have fun at your own wedding. You, you survive your own wedding, but you don't have fun. Liam, did I mention on the show that I got married across a jury room table? <laughs> you did, yes. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of fun at my own wedding. I did have fun at the Indian buffet that we went to afterwards, though. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. it seems like weddings... It's like a weird thing. Like so far, my experience of the wedding is lots of gratitude for all the nice things people do for me, and then lots of carrying heavy things. So I guess that's like the opposite of gratitude. Now, Liam, I do have to ask, between you and me, sure, are you doing this ceremony just for the gifts that people are going to be giving you? Yo, the gifts have been so fucking tight. Like, out of control sick <laughs> gifts. Like, our gift game is, like, on some other kind of level that I didn't know. I had made jokes about it, like, oh, at least if we have a wedding, we'll get wedding gifts. Meh. And then it's like, oh my god, look at all this shit! Oh my gosh! Yeah. I feel like by not having a proper wedding, that is literally the only thing I missed out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also probably making my parents happy, but whatever. Uh, but I just, you know, I wanted, like, a blender and, like... Oh. You know, yeah. and this the shit that you're supposed to use to start your life together that you can't afford anymore because you spend all the money on the wedding. Well, um, I mean, to be fair, we're already adults, so we had a lot of adult shit. Like, a yeah, that's what I was asking. Like, I was wondering. I was like, do people still give you the stuff that the, you probably get better stuff, right? Because yeah, we registered that boring stuff. Oh yeah, we just registered. We either a lot of what we registered for was either like shit that we wanted that was like us. So like, we got a fucking AeroPress. We got a, a scale for making coffee, like you weigh out the water properly. We got a Roku 4, whatever the newest fucking Ooh. Roku is. And then we just got nicer stuff. Like we have a set of plates, but then we registered for nicer plates. Uh, um, shut up. Um, shut up, Liam. Yeah, sorry. Today's guest on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, episode number 27, is a film and television critic, a filmmaker, and a theater artist you can find him on twitter at by bose it's one of my favorite twitter people it's danny bose how's it going today danny i am outstanding doug now we've asked a lot of danny for this episode and i i'm gonna apologize right up front i didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into and in fact i'll, I'll just give away on this episode we're going to be talking about celebrity rehab 
season four, which featured Eric Roberts on it. And Danny has been good enough to agree to watch the first five episodes of that season with us. Uh, And we're going to talk about it at length and we're really going to get into it. But I was under the understanding uh, before, like up to like two days ago when I started watching the episodes, that these episodes were like 20 minutes each. (laughs) But they were not. They were interminably long. Isn't that correct, Danny? Several lifetimes passed in the viewing of each one of these episodes. Uh, It was they're they're not only long; they're on a a scale of time uh, uh, heretofore unimagined by human minds. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, accurate way of putting it. But of course, we're going to then now in just a little bit describe it at length, uh, just to get across to the audience the pain. That we all had to go through. But I do appreciate it, Danny. Danny, how much of your life has been spent devoted to Eric Roberts? Um, uh, proportionally not very much. Although the, what what time has been devoted to Eric Roberts has been, uh, in terms of quality, uh, quite high, obviously. Oh, that's nice to hear. Eric Roberts being uh, who he is and everything. You know, I mean, when um, I think the first time I ever saw him in a movie was when I was about six and it was Runaway Train, which is like not necessarily like the, you know, everybody's idea of viewing for six year olds. I mean, it's incredibly (laughs) fucking violent and bleak and, you know, Uh, but I was, you know, I was in Rancho. I was like, wow, this is great, you know, and, and then, you know, of course the years went by and I was like, oh, okay, it's Julia Roberts' brother or whatever, you know, but it's like he was, um, is he though? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking, you know, no, but <laughs> that's one then, of these things we really got to cover one of these days on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. But, oh yeah. Yes. I mean, you got to define terms and <laughs> literalism and all of that, you know, but then when I was in college, I coincidentally, um, went to school where uh it was the nearest gym to eric roberts's house in upstate new york so he would come and work out at our gym so we there were lots of eric roberts sightings on campus (laughs) um including there was this the 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 first time that i saw him around because i'm not you know much of a gym guy you know Mm -hmm. i'm i'm uh you know I, i lead the life of the mind liam are you a gym rat Oh, I'm always in there throwing around weights and doing curls and sounds like he's being sarcastic. Presses and please, no, please, I'm not. I'm not. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so I didn't really see a whole a whole lot of Eric Roberts, but there was one day when I was I uh, was like waiting for a like a campus bus, and he uh, he he rolled by in his car that he parked in that parking lot, and I looked over and I was like, oh shit, that's Eric Roberts. And right when he pulled up and I was sitting there, this very um, good looking girl walked by and, uh, and 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 Mr. Roberts was was quite taken with her, apparently, because uh, as, after she walked by, he sort of turned to me for a second. And so I was like, eh? and, then, <laughs> and then like and then and then just drove away. And I was like, God damn <laughs> Eric Roberts and I just stared at the same girl's ass for five minutes. You know, it was like, we yeah. shared a very special moment. Yeah, no, it was, it, yeah, it, it was, it was a moment I'll, I'll cherish forever. And then the only other time that I had any like run in with him, uh, while he was, because I mean, he spent a lot of time like in and around, you know, like our, um, you know, our college, and like sure. when he, he would come by and like 
you know, check out like, you know, uh, arts stuff in the theater and, um, and, and so forth. Cause we had, you know, we were really good at that kind of thing. And so there was this, um, like a dance performance that both he and Natalie Merchant were at. Oh, and I'll confess that night I was less concerned with Eric Roberts than I was somehow uh, finagling some sort of, you know, interaction with Natalie Merchant, you know, not, not, which is not to slight Eric Roberts. And it's not even like I'm that big, like a 10,000 Maniacs fan or anything like that either. But it was just sort of like. You prefer I mean, the solo material? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, she herself is quite a presence, I'll put it that way. I don't want to be too much of a pig, but I mean. Well, I mean, perhaps you and Eric could have shared uh, a piggish moment together. Well, that was the thing. If tongue wagging, by, I, he would have totally blown up my spot because I was trying to like I, I was trying to amuse her by like between um, like uh, pieces in this in, in this concert. Like, I would break, and, like, me and the guy sitting, me and my friend who I was sitting with, we are having this running joke that, like, every time a piece would end, we would start going, it's like, uh, you know, the dance is really a fucking excellent form in that, you know, they really <laughs> perfectly, and it's like, oh, yeah, they were all on point, there was excellent fucking incorporation of fucking classical ballet techniques in a modern art, you know, like, dancing, and so, like, we were just trying to do this, because we were just trying to get Natalie Merchant to laugh. And by the time she acknowledged our presence, um, you know, uh, uh, she, 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 she gave us this look like, oh, you boys. And we were like, ah, ah, you know, um, which, you know, ruined the whole act. But yeah, that, that turned into a Natalie Merchant story somehow. And this is supposed to be <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man. So I apologize for that digression. But yeah. Eric Roberts was there, too. I would like to think that Eric Roberts' presence there um, enabled and abetted the, the vibe Probably the, the, Eric the, was watching what you were doing, and be, he was like, "You cut ups." He was you probably like, "He was probably like, those kids have got game." That's that's right. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind, you're you're his kind of person because oh. of of the way that you. I was going to say harass women, but that is not what I meant to say at all. Oh, I, meant, I know because that wasn't harassment at all. No. That was that that was that, that was a. Uh... Getting a rise, very, very courtly entertainment, sort of. Yes, that's yeah. true, and I'm sure she enjoyed the dance performance all the more because of your contribution. Danny, what's your favorite Eric Roberts movie? My favorite Eric Roberts movie. I know people never expect me to ask this question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, I, I have to admit, I, I am a bit ambushed by this question. Um, now, Runaway Train is a very reasonable answer, and I know you might feel like, oh, I can't say the first movie I saw. With Eric Roberts is my favorite, but you know maybe you have a lot of uh, positive emotional connections since you were so young when you saw it. It's true, and there's really nothing like your first, as they say. Uh, uh -huh. Usually about other things, um, but oh, jobs, hand jobs, that kind of thing. Well, yes, um, but uh, and and I'm not going to say the Dark Knight. Um, I mean, I like the Dark Knight, but please. Um, so, I mean, I would probably say Runaway Train after all these years because of the. Um, you know, John Voight, Kurosawa, Konchalovsky, you know, I mean, um, the Pope of Greenwich Village is is up there, though, I have to say. Two great movies, two yeah. recommended by one Mr. Eric Roberts himself in the episodes of these programs that we're going to be talking about. Nice. In fact, the only one missing from your list was One Star 80. Yes, which I haven't seen. <laughs> but he does have a homemade sex chair in that. Isn't that correct, Liam? Sure does. Sure does. Liam, let's talk about the latest Eric Roberts news on the Roberts. 
comparatively light last two weeks in the Robertsverse. However, uh, when it comes to this podcast, some very interesting things have occurred. The biggest one of all, and I have to give muchos credit to one Mr. Liam O'Donnell for this. Me? We have a new look. Yeah, you, Liam, you you were, you greased the palms. Uh, <laughs> at least I hope that was greased. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in order to make this happen, we have a new logo for the show. Isn't that correct? We sure do. How did this come about? Well, so there's a, a, a gentleman uh, about town. Uh, 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 he's, a, he's a man about town, a sort of uh, roustabout in Philadelphia named Mikey Smack. Um, mm-hmm. That's all he's known by, no other name. And uh, Mikey Smack is, uh, besides being a punk and a woodworker <laughs> like you. currently, no, way more punk than me. Okay. Uh, uh, an artist. He's also an artist. He's also a diehard Flyers fan, and he's also a friend of mine. So um, we were discussing a need for a logo, and you had come up with a variety of. of well, uh, I had come up. The thing is, I'm very bad at design. Like I just, I'm not very good at it. And in fact, the 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 logo that we had had previously, not only was it not good and out of date. It didn't even have your name on it, Liam. It it just said it said our former co-host Todd Rigney on it, and I knew it was time for an upgrade, but I didn't have the tools in order to do it. So uh, it it required outside help, and you managed to kind of make this happen, and it's very very good. And also, you did say that when you showed the artist Mikey Smack uh, our current logo, or current as to uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he said it wasn't even a logo. He said it was fucking terrible. I don't know if he was that mean about it, but he definitely was like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> yeah, he said it was shit and that I should have been embarrassed for even having it. As a no. he, but he is a good artist. He he did a, a flyer for Cinepunks recently that's really nice. And he designed, when we handed out those barf bags at X-Fest, he designed the barf bags. So, um, so interesting side note to this, Liam. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited to get this new logo. So I went on Twitter and said, look at our new logo. I'm very excited about it. And then somebody by the name of Rob Trench, former guest on the show, he then um, he then interjected and said, I hope Eric Roberts doesn't sue you. And Eric Roberts was in that conversation. Uh, and he was very nice uh, enough to to retweet, actually, our logo out into the uh, Eric Roberts side of Twitter. But uh, I thought that that was a nasty trick. What do you think? I mean, only if it leads to us getting sued. Uh, if right. at least the people listening to the show, I don't, I don't really mind. But it is weird that he brought it up. Like, I hope Eric Roberts doesn't sue you. Like, I don't know. I, is Eric Roberts not famous enough for fair use? I, I'm not sure. It is the image that we're using is based on an actual photo. So maybe it goes into that uh, like Obama image with the hope. And I don't know. I don't know anything about laws. Uh, but I do know that I want to put you, that you, I want you to put that on a T-shirt because that's your business, uh, and and get one to me. Uh, yeah, we could probably do that. Probably, make it happen. <laughs> Recently on the Eric Roberts Twitter feed at Eric Roberts, he tweeted out, "It happens, though rarely. People with mad fan disease embark on a stockcation. Uh, I think the suggestion there is that sometimes people stalk Eric Roberts. Do you think, Danny?" That uh, having a podcast devoted to a specific actor might come across as being stalker-ish. It can. Mm-hmm. It is not inherently stalker-ish, but um, some might argue that this is a slippery slope. I think that's fair yeah. to say. Now, where does that line lay? Like, where 
where does it become a problem for me, say, to have a podcast devoted to Eric Roberts and about his life? When do we cross that line into stalkerdom? I think, well, I mean, the one answer is that it's all, you know, I think Beholder. But, I mean, I would hmm. say, the, the eyes which I behold uh, say that that line comes when you start obsessing negatively about about Eric Roberts. Um, Because I think that this is something that I've observed with other people who have rather intense uh, attachments to public figures, that, you know, it's all fine and good until the person... They have like an interaction with the person that doesn't go quite the way that they want it to go. Right. And then all of a sudden it flips over into he's the most awful person in the world. How dare Eric Roberts subtweet me today? You know, it's like, or, and, and you know, sort of like in, in misery, you know, when, when uh, Kathy Bates finds the, the, the manuscript that James Conn has been you know, writing and mm-hmm. she doesn't approve of it. And all of a sudden it sort of switches over like, he's not doing what I want him to do. You know, I mean, and I would say just from what I've been able to observe, you are far from Kathy Bates territory. With, well, with, I, with I think it's Roberts. important to, to note at this point, Danny, that I'm not a very big Eric Roberts fan. And Liam isn't really? either. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, he's all right. Um, but uh, we did make a blood oath, right, Liam? Blood. Yeah, we made a blood oath that we're going to watch the movies and television and other media that Eric Roberts has been involved in. So I feel like as long as we are not fans, then we can't become fanatics. And I think you need to be a fanatic in order to be a stalker. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just maybe mental illness is a huge part of it. But uh, but I think we're we're safely uh, below the line of stalker or. Maybe I read this tweet and thought maybe he's talking about us, which be- the idea of him kind of subtweeting to us, maybe I'm already crossing the line as I'm talking about it. I I would say no. I, I, I would say that you, you are not in danger of becoming fanatics. You are, however, in danger of possibly becoming hipsters. Oh, right. Because I've created something specifically for it to exist. As opposed to, no, you know what? That's not really true. I have passion, and in fact, mm. I was being somewhat ironic. In fact, I'll say that I tricked any of our listeners. That I am an Eric Roberts fan, and I do love watching his work, and so does Liam, right, Liam? I mean, <laughs> I love a good chunk of his work. And I, then, like a good, I like a good movie, you know, or a good television show. I think, I think you can mm. be, though, very interested in Eric Roberts' career without having to say, like, oh, Dark Moon Rising was enjoyable. Like, right. I think I think we're not quite and and I, I mean, I agree with Danny a little bit in the idea that there's a negative edge that makes something stop. I mean, to a certain extent, I think you should stop going through Eric Roberts trash. I'll just put that out there that I think you should stop mm. going through his trash. But other than that, look, I mean, wait, I got to stop you there. <laughs> I, look, I think you're being a little unreasonable. For one thing, for one thing, he likes it when I go through his trash <laughs> because and I, I know that. <laughs> That's right. I sort it and then I mail it back to him. <laughs> yes. Opening last week in limited release <laughs> is the film Starcrossed, written and directed by Chase Mosaney. Starcrossed is about a young writer's encounter with a mysterious woman, which changes his future over the course of one night. It stars Misha Barton, Grant Harvey, and one Mr. Eric Roberts. And I don't know anything about it. 
Uh, I do know that this is not a wide release. I think it's somewhere in New York. It's playing uh, briefly. However, we, of course, at some point will be watching Starcrossed. Eric Roberts plays a character named Rommel Lazarus. That's awesome. <laughs> it's interesting. On the IMDb page for it, it uh, all, like every actor is like rumored. And it says for Eric Roberts, it says attached. It's never been updated since they started making it, but it's out right now. So if you can, check out your local listings and go see Starcrossed. Uh, speaking of opportunities to see Eric Roberts on the big or little screen, if you have 10 to $12, you can watch Six Gun Savior, which is a movie that we've talked about previously on this show. It has Eric Roberts and Martin Cove. In fact, it has Eric Roberts as the devil, and it's a Western. Uh, now, of course, you can only do this on Amazon if you are American, but it is available for streaming right this very second. It is about Cowboy Lane McRae will find himself double-crossed after making a deal with the devil, played by Eric Roberts, to revive his dead brother. To make things right, he takes vengeance out on the Wild West. I wonder, Liam, if this involves a fiddle contest. I mean, one would hope. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that it does, but, I mean, that would be a, an obvious choice to me. Maybe it's too obvious. I don't know. Danny, so what's your favorite Western movie? Oh, Jesus. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, favorite Western, fuck. I mean, like... Um... What's your favorite American Western? Okay, well, I was actually where I was just about to go before you so rudely misdirected uh -huh. me. No, I, 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 was hey. about, I was about to mention my favorite Western of all time. Thank you very much, but it American Western. American. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. It, I, I think this one blurs the line between whether, it, like, what is an American Western and what isn't, because I, I was going to say Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West. Now, that is my favorite Western. Yeah, and, you know, and it's sort of an American Western because there's lots of American people in it. But and it's also, also Sergio it, it, Leone, so it's not really. I always say that the Italian Western, the spaghetti Westerns, uh, are, if you consider an American Western as being this uh, kind of fantastic or fantasized version of the American West, then the Italian Western is that sort of thing. With Italian, with oh, sorry, with American westerns. So all it is is taking kind of this framework and building upon it. But you know, when they were making the script for Once Upon a Time in the West, they were taking lines directly from their favorite American westerns and kind oh, of yeah. piecing them together. So I mean, obviously, there's no Italian western without the American western. And what is your favorite American western? Um, I uh, there, there there are a couple vying for first place. Although the, when uh, your your point about uh, them just dead ripping off whatever the, whatever they could get their hands on for a once upon a time in the West, uh, Johnny Guitar, Nicholas Ray's oh. Johnny Guitar, that one is great. Ooh, it's lovely. Um, and the other one that was coming to mind was Ford's The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh, very good. Um, is, uh, I, and I've noticed that like most of my favorite Westerns have like a meta edge to them or they're like Man Shot Liberty Balance. They're like the valedictory for the genre as a whole. Cause it was basically sure. like, it was the end, you know, Ford saw the end coming and he wanted to make his sort of, you know, like last chapter in the, you know, like his yeah, final which, word on the genre. Which is exactly what, what, uh, what Leone's film is as well, right? It yeah. is talking about the end of the American West. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, I mean, a lot of the ones, uh, you know, I mean, there are so many great Westerns, though. I mean, you know, I don't want to you know, throw shade on any of the ones that I didn't mention. But, like, I'm just personally drawn more to the ones that are a commentary on it just because, like, I didn't grow up when Westerns were popular. Like, I came along later. So, like, I need that extra lens to help look back on it or something. I don't know. Maybe I just really like those specific movies, you know. 
apparently there's a Bon Jovi starring DirecTV commercial on television in the United States where you can get DirecTV. Where, uh, according to Twitter, lots of different people on Twitter, because I do constant searches for the name Eric Roberts, a lot of people think that John Bon Jovi looks like Eric Roberts in that commercial. Now, Danny, we've watched this commercial. Mm. Uh, Liam, have you watched it as well? I have not. I did send you the link, but I understand. <laughs> I'm getting I married over here. Getting, ma- getting married <laughs> over here. But, Danny, what do you think? Does he look like Eric Roberts in this commercial? No, he doesn't fucking look at the slightest thing like Eric Roberts. See, and this is the thing. I want to go and just uh, say a slight little thing here, which is that... I think that people are slighting Eric Roberts with this comparison because John Bon Jovi looks like shit in that commercial. He does look like he shit. Looks washed. Like I mean, bon, John Bon Jovi has looked washed for about twenty years, but he looks like like old man plastic surgery trying to recapture the last thing, and he looks fucking awful. I mean, you know, and I hate to you know disparage people's uh, appearances I, I do feel a little bit bad about this but i mean good god and i think it looks like people, a monster or a goblin of some sort yeah and i think that people are trying to say that that's what eric roberts looks like well that's not the case at all man eric roberts is 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 aging quite well and naturally as opposed to the artificial grotesquerie that that commercial is presenting at john bon jovi and now those are strong words and i on a personal level you know on the off chance that John Bon Jovi's listening to this, I do apologize. He is a regular listener. Personally. Yeah. But, I mean, it's like, I don't know, there was something about, there was something resonated about, like, the dark underbelly of celebrity culture (laughs) in the way that he is presenting, or the fact that he did it at all, and the way that he is presented, and the way that he presents himself, and then the reaction that everybody had to it was just like, oh, he looks like Eric Roberts. And, that, and it's like, I, mm, you I know, know, there's one thing being a musician and being in a commercial, but then there's another where you're a musician and you're in a commercial and you're singing songs about the product. I feel like that is kind of a bridge too far. And, and it's weird because I don't have any particular respect for John Bon Jovi, but I yeah. felt like I was still losing it as I was watching it. Liam, what do you think of the song Bed of Roses? Eh, No. Not a fan? No, it's fine. How about Keep the Faith? Do you remember that song? Oh, no, actually. How does that... See, hum hum a couple bars for me. How's that go? Lord, you gotta keep the faith. Yeah, I literally just threw up in my mouth a little bit here and that. Mm -hmm. Recently (laughs) added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's The Immortal Wars, featuring former celebrity rehab contestant Tom Sizemore as Bloodshed, uh, the great low-budget actor Bill Oberst Jr., and... One Eric Roberts as Dominion Harvey, directed by the prolific short film director Joe Lujan. The plot is about the war between deviants and humans has just begun. I did do a search to see if this might be a faith-based movie. Uh, Danny, you might not know this, but Eric Roberts does a number of faith-based films. I did uh, not know that. Yeah, quite a few, in fact, despite the fact that um, research on that has suggested that he does not necessarily identify as a either a Christian or a religious person at all. But he does appear in a lot of... He actually is going to be appearing uh, very soon in a faith-based MMA movie along with um, Lee Majors and Fred the Hammer Williamson. Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound like something actually that you want to see even though you're not sure you want to see it? The list of co-stars that you have rattled off with these movies that are coming up is unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like Tom Sizemore is in most of these movies. 
Mm-hmm. Like he's in a lot of Eric Roberts movies that are upcoming. It seems a little strange. I'm guessing that the, like the pay bracket is very similar these days. But yeah, Eric Roberts. Someone made a joke semi recently that Eric Roberts should be the new Kevin Bacon, right? It should be uh, you know six degrees of Eric Roberts, and it's true. He has basically mm, yeah. worked with everyone right from the bottom to the very top, including one John Voight. But that's all the news that we have to talk about because we're taking a little too much time because we got to get into the celebrity rehab, which is our subject today. Danny, what did you feel when I first said or first first suggested that we were going to be watching Celebrity Rehab? I have tried to live my life with a an embrace of the random. And... When somebody says to me, hey, do you want to watch five episodes of Celebrity Rehab to talk about Eric Roberts on an Eric Roberts-themed podcast? Uh-huh. I had no other reaction than to say, but of course. I mean, because it, it, it's the most it, – it, it, it's at the same time completely random and yet the most natural thing in the world for me to do that. So, I mean, just that confluence of subject and medium made it – impossible for me to do otherwise i had i had to come here and talk to you guys this evening but you regret it now i did not regret it mm-hmm. the experience was very painful because that show is awful and it really shouldn't exist and dr drew should be in jail but hmm strong words from danny uh Bose on this episode of eric roberts is the fucking man that fucking bullshit sucks I mean that it's it's it, it, like I spent like basically I just spent an afternoon watching the the five episodes and at the end of it I felt physically drained. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know I mean sometimes you have to gaze into the void and the void gazed the fuck back. I mean like it was. I'm still trying to articulate like some of the some of the reactions that I had to that. I mean it's like. Yeah. Danny Bo is obviously shaken and stirred by his experience watching Celebrity Rehab. Indeed. Danny, let's let's take our break, our first break. And when we come back, I want you to let loose with both barrels on the first – I say first three episodes, but let's just tear into it. We'll be talking about Celebrity Rehab in just a moment. Eight troubled celebrities are locked in a rehab facility run by Dr. Drew, who performs horrific experiments upon them. Yes, it's (laughs) Celebrity Rehab Season (laughs) 4, with a cavalcade of famous names trying to get cleaned up uh, with a variety of addictions that they have to kick. I want to preface this conversation uh, with something that I actually wrote on our Twitter and Facebook pages. I want to make it very clear that we are not in any way... Uh, going to mock the the rehabilitation process or make fun of people who are trying to get clean. I have people in my own family who have had horrific drug addictions, and I'm sure a lot of listeners and maybe guests here have as well. And it's something that I actually have a ton of respect for people who go through that and have the strength in order to do that. However, Celebrity Rehab 
has a few things that one may wish to criticize uh, in regards to its structure, in regards to the very fact that it's putting these people on television and paying them in order to complete a rehabilitation stint. Uh, And you may, listeners, have an issue with the character of Dr. Drew himself, who presents himself on this show as being literally the word of God, (laughs) coming down (laughs) on high to, uh, to lay judgment upon these celebrities who have wandered into his purview. Having never watched an episode of Celebrity Rehab before, I was actually a little surprised by this whole experience, not only for the length of the individual episodes, which is significant, uh, but also the fact that there are there are what seem to be sincere attempts to provide resources to the people who are taking part in this, but it feels like any good that could possibly be done is undone by the exploitative nature of having this as a television show. And maybe that's just how I feel, but I want to start with our guest here today. Danny, what was your experience overall watching five episodes of Celebrity Rehab? Uh, well, let me preface what I'm about to say by saying that, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, some uh, people out there might have you know, experience with addiction. I do myself have uh, some experience with the subject. Uh, and I have, um, I have been in... Uh, drug counseling uh, and I have kicked uh, a, a couple of things on my own you know so I mean I, uh, insights into various you know like methodologies of you know like dealing with you know like addiction and recovery not to say that I have a you know like a universal beat on it because nobody does because the nature of addiction and recovery is such that each person who seeks to overcome it it's an individual process based on every single person doing it is different right you know so when i was in drug counseling actually i won't i won't blather on for hours about this but i mean i do think that this has you know it's relevant for sure yeah um i was i was put into drug counseling when i was in college for having a panic attack um, because the, the college that I went to, uh, a Bard college, um, that won't get in too much trouble with them for, you know, airing them <laughs> out like this, but Bard at that time, especially, you know, had a reputation as being a very, you know, um, like big party school and a big drug school. And there were various different drug scenes there and every and so on and so forth. So the assumption was the default assumption was that anytime, Anything that could remotely be construed as a drug reaction was the default reaction was that it was drugs. Right. So I had a panic attack my freshman year because, like, I came from New York City public schools Mm -hmm. where, like, I didn't learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got to college and I'm with, like, a lot of people who went to, like, you know, like elite prep schools and shit and were, like, you know, really good at being students. And I just completely fucking lost it because I didn't have any of the skill sets that right. they had. And I had a panic attack and I lost my memory for three days. Now, they when I was found like sitting in a staircase, catatonic, like I wasn't moving and I wasn't responsive at first. And so, like, I was found and a bunch of people, you know, gathered around me and I gradually started coming back to my senses and they were like, okay, you know, it's like you said in the hospital mm-hmm. and 
they sent me to the hospital. They gave me all these. They, they gave me some Xanax. They gave me auditory hallucinations. Um, so like the whole night, I was up all night hearing the ocean when Bard is a hundred miles inland. Right. Um, and you know, and then gradually over the course of the next couple of days, my memory started coming back and then I started going into counseling and I didn't realize until like about like a month into the sessions that the reason why I was there was because the guy thought I was a drug addict. At which point I just completely fucking, I just, I got really pissed off that sure. I wasn't being treated for what had actually happened to me and that they were trying to run some kind of, you know, like Kafkaesque mind fuck on me. Right. And I, I took advantage of the fact that my therapist wasn't very intelligent man and I started manipulating him and like just out of revenge and it was a very mean, you know, spirited thing. It, um, I eventually, like, when he realized what I was doing, we both sort of mutually called him into the, um, to the session because it wasn't really, because the way that he was trying to treat what he thought was a college age drug addict was like all this weird indirect analogies and like, you know, mentioning like, you know, he found out that I liked the Velvet Underground, so he started, like, you know, throwing in these, like, subtle little jabs about the Velvet Underground and drugs <laughs> and stuff. And that was how I figured out that he was covertly counseling me for drug addiction. So, like, that didn't really give me a great impression of therapy sure. as, a, as, as a thing. So, um, like, later, uh, you know, I, when I, tried to wean myself off of alcohol because I had slightly, you know, I mean, I, I had a, I had a bit of a drinking problem and mm -hmm. I had to cut it back. But when, uh, so when I did that, I did that completely on my own cold Turkey and, you know, like went six months without drinking and have oddly been able to drink socially just fine ever since. Sure. Um, and I haven't really, well, I mean, I may, if you believe some people, I may be like on the road to, you know, like another, you know, like bender and explosion and I might have to give up altogether, but I haven't really gotten to that point yet. And I am apparently in complete control of it, but whatever, you know, but right. then I quit smoking because I, I smoked cigarettes from when I was like 16 till it was uh, a little after I turned 32. And that was awful. That was like right. a month of like nightmares and, you know, like, uh, it like cold sweats and like, you know, uncontrollable shaking and, you know, like overwhelming urges to, you know, like do, you know, bend the ends of the earth, you know, commit crimes, murder for a fucking cigarette. Um, you know, yeah, all kinds of, you know, it's like, you know, th these cravings are so bad. I should just off myself because no, no pain can possibly be worse than this. Right. That lasted for about a month, and then I, I, aside from the occasional, you know, greatly diminishing in intensity cravings for uh, cigarettes thereafter, I've not had a cigarette since. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's my history with addiction, personally. Which, again, I think it shows yeah. the strength of your character and your kind of internal strength. I, I want to make sure that we make it very clear that Asking for help is not a weak thing to do. It's a very strong thing Absolutely. to do. And we are, and people, and again, I've, I've been in therapy myself. I found it incredibly useful. 
uh, it's not for an addiction in this case, but uh, for other reasons, actually for an anxiety issue to, uh, that something that you might you might have dealt with, um, mm-hmm. Danny. But um, but it's something where I you know we are not mocking it or or kind of diminishing it in any way. Now, with your experience now stated, Danny, what did you think of the care that they were being provided in celebrity rehab? I thought that it was incredibly cruel and that the interests of the um, the celebrities as patients were not being looked after in the slightest, that the only end that any effort was being put towards in the construction of this show was to create, you know, like a kind of, uh, like a, like a gaze into the gutter for the audience it was it was being presented theatrically for an audience to look down on people and feel better than them which i think is an incredibly cruel thing to do with addicts and even in this like even in the 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 sense that the help that they were seeking in uh, uh you know coming to appear on the show that there's a part of them that has to know it's a reality show, you know, like this isn't maybe necessarily the most effective means of treatment that you can seek. Right. You know, uh, but even so there's part of them, like, I don't think any of them went on that show thinking, Oh, I'll go on the celebrity rehab and then I'll go get loaded. I think part of all of them wanted to get clean as a result of, you know, like participating in the show. Sure. And because of that, I grant them the full empathy that I would grant any addict who is looking to to recover. And I think their motivations were sincere for the most part. Yes, they were sincere the enough. I'll put yes, it that way. That, I think that's fair to say. You know what I'm saying? And then that smarmy motherfucker <laughs> was playing fucking zookeeper and like letting people or circumstances poke sticks through the cage to provoke reactions to foment drama like nothing in the therapy that was being presented on that show in any way aside from the most superficial seemed in any way like it was intended to cure anybody because all that he ever says to anybody are the most like generic superficial platitudes that you could yes. possibly say to somebody in the mm. circumstances and it all mm. like it sounds very authoritative because you know drew he is an actor you know he's a, he's a uh like a show business personality and he knows how to put forth a character theatrically and the character that he's putting forth is the fount of absolute wisdom the source of everybody's salvation and the omniscient god being who has all the answers to everybody's questions except that the answers that he's providing for all of these people are these generic motherfucking bullshit stupid platitudes that are turning everything onto them and that he is completely infallible in this construct and that enrages me it's especially enraging in retrospect uh, I mean, I didn't watch this show when it was first airing. Uh, mm-hmm. To be honest, reality television doesn't hold a lot of interest to me. Believe me, I'm not saying I'm above it or anything like that. It's just it. I find it to be so obviously staged that it can be difficult 
to even relax and enjoy. But the weird thing about yeah. Celebrity Rehab is I didn't find that a lot of it was staged, but it was created. It was manufactured. Like you were saying, right? It's taking people who have addictive personalities and a lot of emotional issues that are kind of contributing to a lot of their chemical dependence, putting them in a room together and kind of waiting for the sparks to fly, which is such a – it seems like such a backwards way of trying to teach someone or or, or to help someone. I'm going to pull it over to you for a second, Liam. Uh, Liam, was this your first experience with Celebrity Rehab? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, In fact, it's – the first experience I've had watching extended reality TV since like real world five, right? you know, like this, <laughs> this style of the only reason I even recognize this style of reality TV as a thing that exists is because of like Kroll show or someone like making fun of it. Sure. Like it's so exaggerated. The continued, recap of something right. that you're going to see. Here's a dramatic moment that you'll see in the next commercial break. Oh, wait, no, not after this commercial break, the next commercial break. Oh, and it's like, particularly I noticed it on the episode where the nurse got sick from mm -hmm. uh, Dude's Open Wound. They showed us her lying down three times before she finally let, you know had her episode. There's and another, it, not to interrupt you, Liam, but there's another episode where uh, there's like an interview segment between Dr. Uh, Drew and one of the patients, and he says, "Look, if you're saying that I'm, if he, if you're saying that I'm, if you're accusing me of lying, we've got a much bigger problem here." And the context that they oh. show in all those replays, in the actual back and forth, it's a completely different context. Yeah, I remember that, oh. and I remember because when he says it, I'm like, "Whoa, Dr. Drew's really up in the. That's, <laughs> he's he's really letting the card show in that montage." As to his manipulation, because it's such a manipulative thing to say. But then in the conversation, it's actually less. So it's like, why did you edit it so you looked like more of an asshole? Mm -hmm. Was that because you knew people would watch? Because they're like, like, I, this is what's amazing about Dr. Drew. And Danny, I think you're portraying him as omnipotent kind of makes sense for me. I think the show really does play him as a God figure. But they can keep you watching whether you love or hate God. Like, right. whether you are like, yep. man, Dr. Drew is really saving them, or whether you're like, fuck you, Dr. Drew, you're fucking this whole thing up. You're not going to change the channel. And that's what they want. Like, everything is done in such a way that by the end of the episode, he's sort of redeemed himself as well. He's shown that he's actually going to fix everything. But all of the commercial break drama is done in such a way to make him maybe, maybe this is the episode where we really see that Dr. Drew really is the asshole. And right. so, like, whether you love him or hate him, they're going to keep you watching the show. And then within the context, like, it felt like summer camp. Like, it's basically like throw all these people into camp, have them do camp activities, and then Dr. Drew's going to come say, like, like not even summer camp. It's, it's at the level of, like, weird christian camp and it's sort of <laughs> emotional like let's just get everyone to cry and then once they cry then they'll just accept whatever it is you know like the 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 there's a there's an emotional climax in one of the episodes with uh leaf eric uh leaf erickson leaf garrett <laughs> i did that when we were talking about it too leaf garrett uh because leaf erickson's cooler but leaf garrett's just leaf erickson know, is from my neck of the woods yeah exactly uh leaf garrett's just a guy who's sad because he isn't uh, beautiful anymore but basically um <laughs> basically the thing is is like of the people in the show he has the it seems to me he has like sort of the worst issues but he also then kind of like ha he has the most clarity in some ways i think because he's always so angry right. that like he never gets caught in some of the more benign you know or not benign but banal stuff right uh but in this one episode 
Dr. Drew really works this guy into an emotional frenzy. And I was watching it. I'm like, oh, Dr. Drew's been to Jesus camp before. Right. Like, this is this is so like a Jesus camp moment of like, let's just push this dude till he cries and then he'll just go along with whatever we say. He's such, such an interesting example because as the episodes go along uh, and understanding that we haven't finished the entire season, what Dr. Drew keeps saying is like, okay, they're going through withdrawals, so everyone's a little more irritable and they're a lot more argumentative and that sort of thing. And Leif Garrett's biggest problem is that all the interactions between the other people in this house or in this rehab facility are incredibly irritating. And I have to echo those thoughts. Everyone is, is – Oh, yeah. They're just screaming at each other and being terrible to each other, and it just seems like they're just letting it happen. And and, and I can yeah. see how that would be very maddening. You're in a room or in a house – with a group of people that you don't like and who are constantly bickering in the most irritating way. And you're also, at the time, feeling miserable because of, of your body going through these withdrawals. I can see how it would be like the worst way to try to kick something. As, as And he is dealing with both a cocaine and heroin addiction. I just want to go yeah. through the people in this house for a second in this uh, facility on this uh, season, season four of Celebrity Rehab. They include... Jason Davis, who is a actor slash socialite, uh, and we'll talk about him in just a second. Uh, the f- famous first supermodel, Janice Dickinson, uh, Leif Garrett, as you just mentioned, uh, Jeremy London from Party of Five and I'll Fly Away, uh, Frankie Lons, uh, star of the BET reality show Frankie and Neff, Eric Roberts, of course, uh, Rachel Uchitel, uh, who was a correspondent for Extra and I guess later was revealed to be one of Tiger Woods' mistresses, and Jason Waller, who was a member of the second season cast of Laguna Beach. Yes, a star-studded cast. I want to go over to you for a second, Danny. Who is the person of this cast who impressed you the most and who did you find the most irritating? Um, I think that no matter what, just from pre-existing, you know, class prejudices and everything, that uh, Jason Davis would have irritated me the most, no matter what, because <laughs> uh, the idle rich um, are my least favorite people on the. Planet. Now he's a billionaire, and, or like he's a mil- he comes yeah. from a millionaire or billionaire family. Yeah, he's from this. Uh, I, I don't know quite how old money, but relatively old money, and. Uh, he's presented on the show as this utterly dissolute and aimless person with no ability to take care of himself whatsoever. Now, there are circumstances under which somebody like that could be a sympathetic character. Uh, you know, if it was somebody who was just, you know, like done wrong by, you know, and just not prepared in any way to interact with the real world. Right. Except for the fact that he is... You know, and it's, you know, and you can say, yeah, it's a, you know, defense mechanism or whatever, but he goes out of his way to be the biggest asshole that he possibly can be. And there was the episode that we were talking about off air where, like, he was uh, following Frankie Lons around and trying to take her wig off. Now, you know, the thing is, I mean, I am, am white. You know, so I'm not speaking from, you know, a complete level of expertise here. But even I know you don't fuck with a black woman's wig. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she, she had been shown she had been shown on the show to be sensitive about it already. She yeah, she didn't, didn't even like have that as like one of those things where it's like, well, this is a cultural understanding, you know, just a, a, a thing that we all know. She explicitly stated it, you know, because being, I think. She was, yeah, the only black person in the cast. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was the only person in the cast. Um, and, you know, 
just wanted to make sure that it's like, okay, this is a thing. Just don't do it. You know, just don't fuck with my way. And so he just went straight to that. And it, you know, it seem, may seem harmless if you don't know, like, how deeply a thing that is. But it, it kind of plays like he knows and he's doing oh, it absolutely. as cruel as he can possibly be. You know, and and he, you know, just acts like a like a five year old for a little show, which is not to say that the rest of them don't. <laughs> I mean, with a couple of notable exceptions, one being the guy who we keep forgetting is there, uh, the Laguna Beach guy who like Jason sure, Waller, uh, Jason Wallflower, more like. You know? <laughs> um, and then there was and there was a thing just to tie it back to Eric Roberts for a second. Um, not you know, but. Like, there is a whole thing, like, that whole thing where they went to the beach. Like, he wasn't in any of that. Yeah. Which I found kind of suspicious because it was like, was he the only person in the cast who was a big enough star that he could be like, fuck it, I'm not doing that? <laughs> or, like, was he doing something else that day? It's supposed to be an inpatient facility? I mean, like, I was that whole time, you know, like, I was, you know, the the thing that the show focused on was, you know, Leaf, like Leif Garrett going off and it looking like he was going to going off to cop <laughs> when he was really just going to listen to his music and not be around these assholes. Um, I'm going to go back to you just in a second, Danny, to yeah. get, get your sense of who, who you're um, the least offensive person on the show was. But I want to go over to you first, Liam. Who was your least favorite of the cast? It's hard because I I want to say Jason Davis as well. Like he mm-hmm. really got under my skin a lot of the time. But uh, there's something about a, a guy. I mean, every time he every time someone picked on him first and he tried to lash out, I found him to be rather um, unintelligent and unable to actually defend himself intellectually. Almost so, pitiful, right? Yeah. So that made me kind of like less. Uh, I don't know, judgmental of him and something about his uh, open gaping wounds that he got <laughs> before he yeah. came to rehab where he burned himself so bad that now he, I mean, it really seemed as if he might be getting sepsis on the show. Uh, maybe we learned that in the rest of the season, but uh, it was, it was pretty gross. Something about that made me feel a little bad for him too. Getting Grand- a wound like that from uh, quote unquote cooking. I don't even know how he managed to do that. Like his explanation of it was so weak. Uh, yeah. Who yeah. knows how he ended up getting those wounds? Uh, I, I actually kind of buy that explanation on face value because people, the, the dumbest shit happens to you when you're fucked up. That's fair. I was going to say, if he was high yeah. at the time, it's it's actually pretty believable. But uh, yeah. but then you compare him to the person who I think I maybe really dislike the most was Janice Dickinson. And yeah. I realized this is purely based on a watching on TV aspect. So right. let's say for some strange reason I was in the house. I would actually, I think in real life, I would find Jason Davis, or even though on the show they present him as the voice of reason, uh, Jeremy London. I think because he is in so many scenes, the voice of reason, but then I'm supposed to buy his bullshit kidnapping story. <laughs> we'll I think, about that. Oh, that I bullshit think in, kidnapping story. Oh, boy. I think in real life, I would fucking hate him. But on the show, I'm like, oh, that Jeremy London guy's all right. 
Janice Dickinson on the show. In real life, I think I could actually ignore her or maybe I would see a side to her. But they really go out of the way on the show to only show her being an actual inhuman monster. And only on the last episode that we watched, so that was episode five, did they start to be like, maybe Janice has problems too. Because before that, I mean, not that she's never vulnerable, but for the most part, she's just like a cranky, mean person all the time. And I know it's edited that way. Like, I know they're setting me up that way, but I'm just, based on what I was presented, I was like, oh man, you don't have a soul. Like, what's going on with this woman? I don't understand. So I'm sure at by episode six, they bring her back and all of a sudden they show her being nice again and shit like that. <laughs> the thing about Jason Davis is that he obviously comes into this program wanting to be the bad guy. Because his intro- his introduction on the show is him bringing like wheeling his bag to the rehab facility, dropping it on the ground, and saying, "Oh, I can pay someone to bring this in." He obviously wants to be the jerk of the cast, right? And he immediately sets him up that way. As soon as he comes in to meet the rest of the people, he starts making fun of Janice Dickinson's facelifts and and I mean and really pisses her off really quickly, right? And that is. Really, it's it's really sad, is what it is, and it it does seem like a weird kind of defense mechanism. But then when uh, Lee Garrett is is uh, threatening to leave the house, he's one of the guys who's like, you know, I really want you to stay. You know, I, I I recognize this in in myself. And then that seems like to be the exact moment where Janice Dickinson just turns into literally the worst person you could ever encounter. And you're right. She has all sorts of emotional issues. She's had a horrible childhood. Uh, and in fact, things have been, have been revealed even since this aired that are, re- are really terrible that she's had to deal with. Um, but she also is just intolerable because every time anyone mentions one of her issues, uh, not one of her issues, one of their own things that they're dealing with, she has to interject. And people point that out. And she really does. She just seems to interject every two minutes. And it gets to the point where even one of the more level-headed people on this show, maybe one by the name of Mr. Eric Roberts, even he lashes out pretty significantly at her. Yeah. And and it's and he yeah, he uses the c word against her, which uh, is is a horrible word and one that I hope I never get to hear Eric Roberts say again. But even one that he seems embarrassed to have said to her um, out of anger, in particular. Um, we'll get back to Eric Roberts in just a second. I want to go back to what you were just mentioning, Liam, about Jeremy London. Now, I always get Jeremy London confused with Jason London, his twin brother, who was in Mallrats and Dazed and Confused. Unfortunately, I would also refer to Jason London as the good London, <laughs> while Jeremy London is the one who was on Party of Five. Um, you are right, Liam, that he appears to be the voice of reason, even though he seems to be kind of like switching alliances all the time. It's just like whoever I'm in the room with, they're okay, but everyone else is just being crazy. But what is his story? I'm going to stick with you for a second, Liam. What is Jeremy London's story about being kidnapped? Well, so Jeremy London comes in, and even on uh, the description of the show, his main addiction is marijuana and painkillers, supposedly. But then he claims... That he was kidnapped. I don't know. They never really get into the details of it. Was he carjacked? Is that what no, we're no. supposed to? What it is, is is he's fixing his car on the side of the road. And he's helped oh, right, right, by right, two right, black right. guys who we then ask for a ride home or something. By, by the way, he needs us to know they were black guys. Like <laughs> he emphasizes that mm. so that we'll understand how realistic the story is. And uh, they, they force him. They force him under gunpoint to do drugs, which is something I hear happens all the time. Is that uh, people are forced via threat of gun violence to enjoy intoxicants? Uh, but I don't just take remember... ecstasy. 
Yeah, that was I was gonna I was about to say I couldn't remember what they gave him, but they gave him ecstasy, which is even less believable. Just to put that. <laughs> <out>. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 we're if if even you're gonna suggest a plot of a shitty. 80s post exploitation movie, you know, like a like a canon movie, and you're like, and then they make them take ecstasy. You'd be like, ah, oh, God, really? Come on, that doesn't work. <laughs> the it story, would, it would at least be super crack or something, you know, like the story. Yeah. How he tells it is very strange because he he's going to give these guys a ride. He first drops his wife off, who wants no part of it, and then he goes off to give these guys a ride home. They keep directing him all over the place, and he's like, come on, I got, you know. Just let me know where you need to be dropped off. They say, drop us off here. They get out and force him into the back seat, where they then, at gunpoint, force him to do drugs. They say they're going to lock him in the trunk if he doesn't do them. So he does them. And then I guess they just let him go. Uh, and it's it Well, they does... accomplished their mission, which was to make Jeremy London take ecstasy. Yeah. And his yeah. his family doesn't believe him. His wife doesn't believe him. The staff at the rehabilitation center do not believe him. <laughs> they even say that out loud. Oh, I, like that story. I don't know. Right? Danny, what did you think of his story? Well, I'll start off by saying this. Uh, is that I played a lot of poker and I've known <laughs> a lot of junkies. And I can. It, there, there are a lot of tells that people have when they're lying. And when he was telling that story on the show... Now, you know, take, you know, like with a grain of salt, because obviously I don't have perfect insight into another person's, you know, uh, trip or whatever. But he was spritzing more tells per second in the telling of that story than I have ever seen somebody (laughs) bullshitting before. Now, I don't know whether that was because he was nervous because he was on camera. Maybe that was what it was it. But. Like he was a glowing radioactive pile of bullshit when he was telling that story. And I mean, the truth of it, the, the, the thing that like, you know, cause I remember when that happened and I was mm-hmm. like reading about it in the gossip pages and everything, my, you know, knee jerk reaction then that hasn't, you know, really wavered much since to the degree that I've been thinking about it at all, which is not very much. Um, <laughs> That he went and got fucked up and he felt really guilty and he was trying to think, how can I explain the fact that I went and got ripped to the tits without my family getting mad at me? And I think that story was the best that he could come up with to avoid the blame for going on a bender. I think you're absolutely right. I think it went probably something like that. Those black guys or equivalents did exist, right? Because his wife would have met them. Uh, And then he went off and smoked crack with them. And he felt really bad about it, came up with this ridiculous story, but then refused to go back on it to the point where even on the show, which, you know, theoretically would be a safe space. He's surrounded by drug addicts. So saying that he smoked crack would not be, you know, you wouldn't think that would be so hard to admit. But then it would be admitting all those tabloid stories are wrong, that he was just lying the whole time. And mm. I guess the humiliation factor is keeping him from coming clean. But it is a ridiculous story. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that even under as cynically a contrived thing as this show, the fact that they were so openly like snickering in right. the story – is a sign of, like, the degree of bullshit that it is. Now, I mean, the thing, lies of this sort, sometimes when you tell them often enough, you come to believe them yourself. Sure. So part of him might believe that his dealers, who he went off to go get high with, 
like held him at gunpoint because maybe like it was an analogy that got carried away from him. right like maybe he was hanging out with them and they were like come on get high come on get high and he was like no 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 and they were just like come on man get high and he felt peer pressure as if it were a gun to his head and he just literalized that in the story because he was high or, or whatever like i don't know there are explanations for this and it's not necessarily a sign of malignant intent on his part that he's sticking to this story in fact i think that a more responsible therapist in a more responsible therapy environment would deeply interrogate his motivations for telling the story the way that he does I think that's fair to say. The, but, yeah. Well, uh, go on. Cause I don't want to, you know, cause we, we don't <laughs> spend forever on this, but I, I think that it's like, as much as it's, it, as it's funny that he was bullshitting to the heavens that way in, a, in another way, it's kind of like, uh, what's yeah. going on with that? You know? Right. Absolutely. And yeah. it's, it's interesting that up to the point we watch, they never seem to try to address that particular part in his therapy, at least not that we saw. I just want to get both of your impressions quickly before we take our next break. Uh, starting with you, Liam, who's the person in the, in the facility that you related to the most? It's difficult to say. Uh, I think the show is designed to make certain characters more sympathetic than than others. Um, You know, I kind of like, even though he gets manipulated like everyone else, I kind of found Leaf's like no bullshit attitude, a little endearing, you know, like I kind of was like, okay, you know, I appreciate that. You know, he 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 seems a little less like easily distracted, uh, but he's just as taken with Dr. Drew. So that's not my favorite. And uh, and I uh, up until he has the freak out with Janice, I was finding even though they're described, Eric Roberts is very cut off. And I'm like, or charming. I mean, you know, whatever <laughs> he, you want to say. Or he wants to just keep, like separate himself from the madness that surrounds him. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, honestly, like and I guess we'll get into more of this later, but I really found parts of what Eric, you know was going on with Eric Roberts like it was very believable like I guess I guess uh you know everyone on the show has their own issues and they kind of show them in their own way but when Eric Roberts came in his was less dramatic sure. if I don't have pot I get annoyed with people in a way that's uncomfortable and that's literally they like it it's the one thing where they could demonstrate it perfectly on the show whether yeah. it was real or, or like manufactured or not they could really show like here's Eric Roberts being nice here's Eric Roberts being less nice Here's Eric Roberts using a word he probably shouldn't use. <laughs> and so you kind of were like, yeah, the less high Eric Roberts is, the more likely he is to get annoyed. And so there was something about that that was a little more relatable. Uh, but in the end, I, I got to say, though, like, even though she was one of the most uh, grating and frustrating characters, I really actually sympathize with Frankie a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot. And I think that's from working with folks who are uh, – dealing with addiction in the past and uh she's more of the uh kind of person culturally that i'm used to dealing with who like gets aggressive and doesn't want to be messed with and i think like sure on the show it's very shrill in in some ways and it's very grating but in another way i found it more relatable than some of the more uh manipulative things you know other people just saying little cutting things under their breath and i'm like that's not what i'm used to i'm used to like Oh, she's unhappy and she's going to yell and tell people they're a motherfucker and they're going to be. Yeah. Like to me, like that's that makes sense. That actually like, oh, A equals B. Whereas like, oh, I'm happy. Nothing bothers me. But just so you know, you're a scumbag. I'm like, wait, what is going on with these fucking crazy people? (laughs) Like something about her craziness clicked for me, even if 
at the same time, if I was in that house, I would have been like, yo, shut the <laughs> fuck up. Like, I would have gotten just as annoyed, but I still felt bad for her. The level of passive aggressive- aggressiveness in this house is at an all-time high. Danny, how about yourself? Who did you, who did you like in this house, if anybody? Um, I, I do have to confess that I, I can't really say that I liked anybody outright, mm-hmm. although I'm, I'm entirely with Liam on, uh, on Frankie, uh, because, like, being the only, like, you know, non-celebrity there, I mean, you know, I mean, she is, by the definition of this show, a celebrity because she was on a reality show, and sure. uh, she's the mother of a singer and television personality who none of us are terribly familiar with, but who is quite uh, well known. Um, but even even to to that degree, like she was like the least celebrity ish person there. Sure. Um, and you know, like being from being from New York, and you know, like being from the you know, uh, you know, a, 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 a rather you know heterogeneous neighborhood, uh, you. Know, that um you know like i've known plenty of people like her over the years i've known people who resemble the other people on the show to degrees but like a like her just beat on things and take on things is more like more real world to me than you know here's this actor here's this model here's this you know laguna beach guy you know right um, I mean, I was tempted to say I like the Laguna Beach guy because he shut the fuck up the most, but, you know, it was like... <laughs> the impression that comes across <laughs> is he's just so uninteresting that there's just nothing there. Yeah, I mean, you guys have got to keep us posted if, like, there's the big uh, Jason Waller, you know, <laughs> tell-all episode in the back half of the season. Because, sure. Like, we barely even, like, heard that guy talk in the in the first five episodes. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. I, I, and that's some really good input. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the more specific incidents on the show. And it was, of course, we're going to get into some detail on Eric Roberts. So let's take a break and we will be right back. <laughs> They got 24 hours Shoot off all his bitch with legs 96 tears through 24 hours uh, Sex once every hour Johnny hit the run, Polly Johnny hit the run, Polly So, Jason, you're diabetic, is that right? Diabetic. Type 2. Have you lost some weight? 150 pounds. You've lost 150 pounds. Good for you. How'd you lose the weight? Heroin. Heroin. I'm not so sure I'd recommend it, but I'm glad you lost the weight. Uh, and we're back, and yes, for the first time ever, we're still talking about the thing we were talking about before. It's Celebrity Rehab Season 4, featuring one Mr. Eric Roberts. We'll talk about him in some more detail in just a moment. But first, I want to talk a little bit about... Dr. Drew. Now, I only know Dr. Drew from his array of television appearances. My understanding is he had he was a uh, a host of the radio show Loveline 
with Adam Carolla. Anyone can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. And then he kind of graduated to television appearances. And as you mentioned, Danny, he gives off this sort of aura about him, a very rehearsed aura, of a television performer. So he always seems to be in control. He also seems to only appear at this rehab facility for like an hour a day. (laughs) He just comes in. Does his shit and then leaves and lets his staff do everything else. But he is presented as literally, you know, God from on high just coming down and making his proclamations. And he also is like, he's like the drug whisperer, right? He comes in and he knows everything that's going on and he knows how to fix it. And he's never presented as anything but competent and probably, for all we know, because we haven't seen the end of the season, correct. This show doesn't air anymore because a lot of cast members have died. Something like nine of the uh, four celebrity seasons and one season of this show that had no celebrities. I think something like nine cast members have passed away since. I am not going to lay that blame. I would not dare at, uh, at Dr. Drew. The fact is he's dealing with people who are dealing who are in crisis, which is why they're on the show in the first place. However, one could make the point that he is not helping them in the way that they deserve to be helped. And in fact are adding a layer of exploitation onto what they're already dealing with. I've already asked you a little bit about um, about Dr. Drew, um, Danny, but I just want to get a sense from your thoughts on why do we see him as... Why do we see him as more legitimate than he really is? Um, I think that the legitimacy that the show confers upon him and that the large parts of the audience confer upon him by default is uh, that we've been conditioned for a very long time to just accept, like, I'm a doctor. When somebody's like, I'm a doctor on television, you're like, oh, he's a doctor. You know, going back to, like, you know, the 50s when... They'd be like four out of five doctors say that Absolutely. if you smoke Chesterfields, mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna you're gonna grow two dick inches and defeat communism, you know, and it's like and, and it's like through to the present day where it's like this guy can get on and just be like, Now, I'm a therapist and I know all that there is to know about every single drug known to man, and I'm familiar with every single psychological disorder uh in the DSM. And I'm also a medical doctor. I can treat uh, open, gaping wounds. Um, I know all about the side effects of diabetes on heroin use and vice versa. And you know, and it's just like it, it, there's there's a degree to which most people don't uh, dispute that somebody who claims expertise knows more than they do. Like sure. most people are just willing to concede that somebody claiming to be an expert knows more than they do about certain things. Um, Now, I mean, there are very limited spheres in which I uh, immodestly style myself to be an expert. Right. And being familiar with that sort of, you know, thing, like, like I can spot bullshit from uh, 10 miles away. Mm Mm-hmm in film criticism, you know, because I know a lot about movies. You <laughs> know, a lot and, of bullshit there. Yeah, and oh, oh, and people talk a lot of <laughs> shit about movies, you know, so there's a lot of bullshit to discern. Um, but the thing is, is like, I do know a lot of things about that. So, like, so when somebody's, you know, calls himself an expert, but they get something wrong, I'm, I'm like, oh, they're wrong. 
Whereas I think that people without specialized knowledge in in given areas, you know, just it, it's just it's it's natural it's human nature to be like, you know, okay, I mean, I don't know that, you know, like a self aware person will be sure. like, I I I am not an expert on this thing, therefore I will defer to this person now, you know, and and I think that that's what sells dr drew's personality to television audiences is that he has visual presentation you know he has he is he has complete control over how he presents himself visually and physically he has great control over the modulation of his voice he knows the right registers in which to speak to seem authoritative his timing in giving forth these, you know, like bits of, uh, you know, generalities and vague bullshit. Uh, he knows how to make all that stuff sound profound through, uh, you know, even though he's not reading from a script, but, you know, line readings. Sure. You know, uh, you know I mean, he is an eminently gifted and extremely effective actor. But it's it, i can't say this enough though the shit that comes out of his mouth in the form of therapy is stuff that you have to question every syllable of it because some of it is howling horseshit and the whole way that the that the that the setup the, the whole way that this is set up as a construct is like it's sort of like um like like an improv play where it's like you know you have the set and then you turn the actors loose on it and they, you know, improvise the text and whatever. But it's like, you know, the certain parameters that have been established, you know, if, or they're creating theater. They're not creating therapy. Right. And he's you almost know, because, like, they almost present him like a cult leader because the, his oh, staff. He's very culty. Yeah. His staff are, are constantly shown as being rather overwhelmed by what's happening, right? And they can't handle the bickering and they can't stop what's going on. And they're always saying to the people, do we need to get Drew? Do we need to get Dr. Drew in? And it's so strange. It's like, it's like he is, you know, he is the guy who can answer all the questions because he's the guy who can make the decisions that they're not allowed to make. Yeah. It's a, and it's, it's, and there's just so little effort made towards, um, you know, down because the the drama that erupts between all of these people is like as as like as effective a trigger as there can possibly be at turning them back to their old habits in terms of you know like uh, you know, drug abuse. You know that like you know we see Leif Garrett legitimately want to buy smack on air, right? And nobody tries to do anything to stop him other than, oh, stay here, stay here <laughs> in this environment. Nobody is like, well, if you assholes shut the fuck up, maybe Leif Garrett won't need to buy heroin. Maybe he won't need to get high if you people stop being such narcissistic, childish pigs. That communication nobody level... Does doesn't occur between the, the cast members themselves, right? The only time they're sort of in, in kind of uh, deeper than the surface conversations, they're happening sort of one-on-one -on -one between Dr. Drew and, and the person. But even then, it it's all platitudes. Liam, did you have any experience with Dr. Drew before the show? 
Yeah, I've actually <clears throat> when that his radio show was popular, I listened to that. Um and I I kind of feel like that was sort of the beginning of this fascination with Dr. Drew because on Loveline, it was him and Adam Carolla. So, you know, when you pair two flavors together and something sort of is accentuated by having its opposite, like you put a guy like Dr. Drew on with Adam Carolla. And of course, everything Dr. Drew said on Loveline was like he was a fucking genius. Right. He seems like the most like, reasonable person in the world. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, uh, I mean, I wasn't a, a, I wasn't as devoted to that show as some people, but I listened to it occasionally. And, and when I did, it always felt like uh, very few people called him with actual problems. And then the people who did call him with actual problems, he would like say some really like schmarmy things that were easy to get on board with. And then he would say, but, you know, you need to find someone to talk to about this more. Right. And which is actually not a bad thing. Like, I'm fully I wish he had I wish he would say that. To many of the people on this rehab show, actually, this this show is not working for you. You should find a real doctor. Like that would be great. <laughs> but on the radio, he would say that, and it seems like such a good thing. But it actually was a really effective tool for when he was way out of his fucking depth. It seems right. to me. And granted, I was a casual listener, so maybe there was some huge situation he dealt with, and now everyone thinks he's magical. But to me, it was just such an easy environment for him to come across as like you know, whatever, like, uh, as someone who had insight, because there wasn't a lot of insight needed to come across that way. There's a, I mentioned this to you on our, when we were chatting before recording, um, that the show takes great pains to show Dr. Drew with a stethoscope around his neck as often as possible. This goes back to what you were saying, Danny, about this four out of five doctors agree. It's like they want to give us a visual cue to remind us, hey, he's a doctor. What do doctors do? They wear a stethoscope around their neck. But it's so transparent, and it kind of adds this layer of artifice to everything that's going on. It makes it just keeps reminding you, hey, this is a TV show, and that's fine, but there's legitimate consequences to what's happening to the people on this show. Whether whether there's sort of a cynicism that they bring in with them when they when they take part in this, the fact is they're getting paid to take part in it, right? So maybe they need the money and that's why they're doing it. That's fair enough. But they are people who are in crisis to, to a man and to a woman. Each one of them are in crisis. So it becomes a very depressing and very sad thing to watch as they are manipulated and 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 shown to be petty in a way that Dr. Drew has never shown, right? He's always the most competent person on screen. And he even kind of makes them his counterpoint to his own competence, which it just feels so fake. And if you're seeing through it, like it seems like all three of us were seeing through it, it just makes it maddening and makes you think of him as being the scummiest of scumbags. Um, I just want to mention um, a couple of quick moments from the show. Uh, it, this is a show that really exists in moments. The the one-on-one conversations are interesting between Dr. Drew and these individuals. They're interesting, but as we've already mentioned, they don't actually provide much insight, a lot of very surface things. The more interesting moments are sort of just the stuff that happens. Again, very manufactured because you're taking people who are at their wits end and are, are in physical and mental pain and putting them in a room together. There's a part in this where... One of the characters, uh, in this case, it's uh, it's Frankie. She somehow did not realize that she was going to be on camera the entire time she was in this facility. And when she figures out that there are people watching her and, and there are cameras in the individual rooms, she absolutely loses it. I mean, she really 
loses it and almost almost leaves the show. Now, the suggestion on the show is that this is part of her, like she's trying to look for an excuse to get out of there so she can do drugs. Uh, but it's also, I could see perhaps if you it was not explained to you properly just how intrusive the cameras would be, even though it kind of has to be in the room since that's where people would be, you know, hiding drugs or doing drugs. That, that it could be a bit of a surprise. How did you feel about Frankie's situation in, in the show, uh, Danny? I think that... Was she being unreasonable, they, do you think? No, I don't think that she was being unreasonable. Because I think that, you know, they're jumping to the conclusion that she was trying to, you know, l- l- man, trying to manufacture an excuse that she could go out and cop. Was sort of, um, in a way them trying to duck the responsibility for not adequately explaining to her about the the cameras because it's not the sort of thing that you're just going to assume is standard operating procedure in something like this if you've never been in a situation like this before and if you've been to rehabs that weren't being filmed as reality shows you know right. that you might you're not used to the idea of cameras being everywhere so I think, you know, the show can never admit that they fuck up because that, you know, cuts into the whole, you know, like God King, Dr. Drew, you know, all hail, you know, his immortal wisdom, you know, trip. Um, That, but I mean, at the same time, like, I mean, I do think that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I the, the thing that, that that kind of diminished the effectiveness of that bit for me was that they spent like two entire episodes like teasing that thing yeah. at every single commercial break, and it was just like it felt like it had already happened by the time they dealt with the situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I mean, I think it was just like they were hard up for footage to use for drama that week. Because I mean, it all comes back to in every single one of these episodes. They're manufacturing drama at every single corner, right? And milking every bit of drama that does occur for uh, it, like every last bit of worth, uh, uh, present. And that was why at the end of five episodes, everything was just so draining to me. Sure. Like, I was just like, Jesus, God, they're obsessing over everything. And the fact, I mean, this isn't you know, sort of a tangent, but I mean, the fact that. The fact that they were all like chain smoking in rehab drove me <laughs> insane. I was like, okay, these people are in here for addiction and yet they're allowed to fucking smoke all day. I mean, you know, I, I don't have a lot I, of it. Uh, I think that's actually pretty common. I think it actually is. Thing. I mean, my it understanding is common, is... but it's like, God damn, man. Yeah, I know, right? I, it does I seem think backwards. The, that, that example, too, I think you're right about the. You know, they spend a lot of time on the show manufacturing drama, and that was so wait. That one was so wasted, and, and it felt to me like um, this is sort of the problem with the show: is that they show you these pre things to get you hooked that you're going to come back. You want to see what's sure. going to happen. You want to see what happened, but it actually deflates so that very rarely does when the thing actually happen, it lives up to the constant pounding of the replay. Replay after replay after replay. And eventually you're just like, what is going on? I don't care anymore. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. Now, let's talk about Eric Roberts. We haven't talked to him, uh, talked about him a lot. And in fact, over the first like three episodes of this uh, show that we watched, or the five that we watched, there actually isn't a ton of Eric Roberts 
in them. Uh, it's the fourth episode where he starts to become more of a presence. And in fact, it seems like they push him to be more of a presence. He has a one-on-one with Dr. Drew where he cries about um, about some of the insight that he's, he's, I guess, discovering about himself um, and maybe the things he doesn't like about himself. Perhaps the most revealing incident that we see him involved in has nothing to do with his interaction with Janice Dickinson and calling her the C-word. It comes earlier in the series where he's just sitting at a table and someone asks him about his, uh, the, the mother of his, uh, child, his, his earlier wife. And he gets this deer in the headlights look in his eyes. And he's just, he says, I just, he just, like, I refuse to talk about that on camera. And it gets super awkward. Now, I'm sure in real life it wasn't as awkward as they show it on the show where they're cutting to 30 angles and 20 reaction shots and everyone's like, ugh. But it is really super awkward. And it was revealing in a way that sort of showed, oh, there is this artifice. Like, there is this 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 Eric Roberts shield that he keeps in front of himself. And that was it slipping for a little bit. It was actually really uncomfortable to watch. Danny, what did you think of that scene? Well, that moment really struck me as one of the the the, the, the most vivid moments where we see that this guy is an actor. Right. Because that's one of the things about being an actor and engaging in the process uh, to, you know, prepare to either, you know, like being a a player in a film. You have to uh, establish emotional boundaries for yourself as a performer. Like what is what will I reveal for the sake of the work and what is my own thing? And a lot of actors, in order to stay sane and emotionally balanced, need to have things that are rigorously guarded, uh, private uh, secrets. And I think that that was a moment of the people around him and the show construct uh, kind of running up against that inviolable, you know, like, um, you know, like inviolable boundary. Right. Absolutely. It's interesting because Janice Dickinson is the one who asks it. And her response when she realizes he doesn't want to answer is that she just apologizes again and again and again because she – I mean at that point, she understands, oh, he really doesn't want to talk about this. I don't want to push it. I'm trying to backtrack. But it just becomes very, very strange and uncomfortable to watch. And then he gives sort of like a pat answer about her being a wonderful mother and things like that. But you're right. You can kind of see him catch himself and kind of reset himself on the tracks and then just try to continue. Uh, and then, of course, he just stands up and leaves in a really <laughs> – they made that part look super awkward. Liam, oh, yeah. Liam, did, did you, you think... Sorry? I got the feeling she was fishing a little bit. Like, I got the feeling his response was obviously, like, uncomfortable and it was weird. And, uh, you know, if you sign up for a show called Celebrity Rehab, it's very unlikely you're going to get to hide much of your personal issues or whatever. But I also thought the way she asked it... Maybe I'm just being uptight because Janice gets on my nerves. Mm-hmm. But I thought the way she acted was asked it was very weird to me, at least. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's kind of strange because one of the other revealing moments comes a couple episodes later. Um, It's the the part where they talk about how Eric Roberts is sort of uh, keeping himself away from both the drama, but also the other people in in the rehab place in general. He's kind of sitting by himself. That's what they show, right? And then I think maybe Jason Waller comes over and they have a conversation and he says, you know, what I'm trying to do is sort of assist someone else. And he wants to help Janice because he recognizes that he really finds her personality to be super toxic, super unpleasant. But that kind of makes him want to help her as well. It it comes off 
I can't tell if it comes off as smarmy or sincere, but uh, it's strange because their personalities really do conflict. And it's also kind of odd that, you know, just like an, an episode later, they blow up at each other. And that is the first kind of emotional reaction that we see from Eric Roberts that that's you know that that involves him like raising his voice and being like come on you're 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 full of it that sort of thing um did you think he was sincere in that moment Liam I could I I mean it it came across to me as if what we were seeing is what he described which is that Eric Roberts and we've talked about it in the show that everyone who works with him sees him as the most charming easy to work with guy whatever whatever but then he says very clearly on the show you know, if I can't get my dose, then I'm very irritable. So, I mean, Janice is the way they present her. If she's anything like they present her is a very irritating person and someone who could really rub you the wrong way. So at first, his reaction to me felt natural, like he's just getting annoyed the way everyone else is getting annoyed. And it really kind of like coincides with how he described how he would be at a certain point. I couldn't tell if it then became like a personal thing. Like it seemed like he took very seriously the way she was treating. Uh, what was the other uh, young woman's name? Ra- Rachel. Yeah. Rachel. Rachel now that, yeah. yeah. He, because Rachel and Janice, just, just sorry to explain it. Rachel and Janice were sharing a room. Rachel was actually talked onto this show by Dr. Drew. Uh, and Rachel ends up leaving the rehab facility because she thinks that her, uh, that she's being ripped apart in the tabloids. We even get a small cameo, not, not actually on, on screen. Um, uh, Donald Trump was angry at her because she was supposed to take part in the uh, a season of The Apprentice, and that was going to cost her that because she was on Celebrity Rehab, which Dr. Drew had some choice words to say about that as well. So they have this Janice and Rachel, who seem to be friends at first. Janice just turns on her accuser of stealing and is completely horrible to her. And and Eric is kind of, in fact, the entire rest of the house seems to support Rachel while Janice becomes sort of ostracized by the end of the fifth episode. And Liam, you were saying that Eric was trying to kind of. Yeah, I mean, that's it it seemed like she was he was motivated by a sympathy towards Rachel, but I couldn't tell how real that is. You know what I mean? I didn't know if I don't know. It it, it seemed like some sort of like weird like daddy. <laughs> All right, let's let's get this. Usually, on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We um, we finish our conversations about each movie by asking both our guests and, of course, my co-host Liam whether we think that Eric Roberts is the fucking man or not in whatever project that we're watching. This one's a little more uncomfortable, but I just want to get maybe your quick thoughts instead of saying whether he's the fucking man or not, which of course he is. But instead of saying that, I just want to get your quick thoughts of what is your impression of Eric Roberts? From Celebrity Rehab, I'm going to start with you, Danny. What are what uh, what are some of your short thoughts on him from what you gather from this show? Um, I think that he is in a very awkward circumstance for somebody like him who is an interpretive artist who deals in interiority. Not to get too deep on y'all, but you know, mm-hmm. being that that is what being an actor and being a serious actor you know is. And he's in an environment that is entirely concerned with surfaces and superficial appearance, uh, which is, you know, the main reason for his, you know, like the the enormity of his blow up with Janice, who, as a model, is very much concerned with exteriority. You know, it's what it's what she's made her entire career on. And so it's her milieu 
is what we're in. I mean, I think it's telling that she's the first of the patients that we're introduced to because it's so much her world that we're in that it makes it like very I mean almost impossible for you know Eric Roberts to engage with this world and the right. natural habitues of it because it's just he's just by definition an alien in this world mm-hmm. so I mean it's it's not the proper I mean and also we're going by only half of the season too of course. Um, but I I would maintain, even without having seen the second half of the season, that this is an environment that is directly opposed to showing him at his best self. I think that, that's fair to say. Liam, how about yourself? What did you think? Uh, you know, some quick thoughts on Eric Roberts in this season. I also want to get your thought just quickly, Liam. Is Eric Roberts the most famous person in this house? It seems like he is by a pretty significant amount. Yeah, and I I feel like that was what was so surprising. I mean, he comes in and he has this, you know, pot issue, which is, you know, that's a little bit of my bias about that is that, uh, I don't know, I I know a lot of people who function pretty well with marijuana, so I'm already... He also says, sorry to interrupt, Liam, but he also says that he smokes the equivalent of a joint and a half a day. I know people who smoke... A lot more than that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm already concerned about whether this is an issue or not. And then he he comes onto the show. He seems like the only named person. And then when he's kind of defensive or maybe he's not opening up right away, I'm thinking f- from my view, and again, maybe I haven't, uh, you know, maybe 2010 Eric Roberts is not what I'm thinking. But in my brain, I'm thinking he's the only one with a lot to lose here, really. I mean, yeah, the, exactly. others have, the others have a lot to lose from the rehab standpoint, this is bad rehab. And so it's not good that they're in this program because it's not the best program for them. He seems to me like the only person who has something to lose on the celebrity side. He's not, he has, he has like, he has a functioning family at home and a career that, you know, when they introduce him, he says, you know, I was the, had the smallest part in the biggest movie of last year. And I'm currently the, the lead uh, bad guy in the expendables. He, you know, <laughs> comparatively, He's acing it in this in this house. Yeah, so I I just I feel like he's the most famous person, and that sort of explains his behavior a little bit. And for me, like watching it, it just felt like he, uh, you know, I I kind of have sensed that he has some you know security things going on, and that's the little bit we got to see of him opening up. Is this feeling of like um, that people are going to let him down, and that he's going to let people down, and whatever. A lot of that wasn't really a surprise. I was sort of like, sure. okay, I, I could kind of see that from what little we've gotten to see of him. Yeah, one absolutely. thing that I actually kind of want to just jump in and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and argue one point that uh, that that you guys uh, made, not to be overly contentious, of course, as I'm a guest here, but please be contentious. Um, the thing about Eric Roberts comparatively not smoking that huge amounts of pot, I don't think. Um, that like lessens the degree to which he has a problem with it because one of the things about what I mean, one of the things that I've found with uh, addiction to, I mean, the the small array of things that I've had to wean myself off of mm-hmm. over the years is that even if you're not doing a ton of something, but you feel its absence really vividly, right? You right. know that 
I mean, you know, it, you know, if you have a problem with something, you have a problem with something, even if, you know, I mean, it'd be one thing if it was like, you know, I'm smoking a pound a day, you know, like my last entire fucking residual check went to buying a trunk load of marijuana and then I smoked. Or even that your health, your health is in particular being adversely affected. Yeah, or it's like there's a spot on my lung, so I have to stop blowing joints, you know? Sure. Well, and I think that's what he says about his problem is born out on the show, that he needs it in order to function, and we see that happen. Yeah, exactly. There's a reliance sharply, yeah. At least, at least from what we know of Eric Roberts, yeah. <laughs> and and what the and what the show kind of deems to present yeah. to us, we will continue on a future episode with the remaining five episodes of Celebrity Rehab. We're going to take our final break, and when we return, we're going to have a little quick chat with Mr. Danny Bose, and we're going to say good night. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man, number 27. Yes, we were very happy to be joined by one Mr. Danny Bose, who was good enough and kind enough to talk about a show which I know put him through his paces and put him through some significant pain. Danny, thank you so much for being on the show. You're a person that I... Un, uh, we were just off off uh, off air. Uh, Danny was being uh, a little uh, self-deprecating about his Twitter presence, but I have to say that if you are interested in film uh, filmmaking and uh, film criticism, you absolutely have to follow Danny Bose on Twitter. And in fact, he is someone that I've always wanted to have on this podcast, and very happy that it finally came to fruition. Thank you so much, Danny. And where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find the aforementioned Twitter presence at. At by Bose, B Y B O W E S. Um, and on uh, top of that, I have a uh, personal website which I don't update all, as often as I should, but I will uh, be updating uh, in, in the near future at bydannybose.com. Uh, and I write a weekly column about basically whatever the fuck at uh, Film School Rejects, uh, which drops every Tuesday afternoon. Um, and I recently experienced some uh, catastrophic technical hiccups that I think I have sorted out, but I am going to be launching my own podcast soon. Uh, it be called Letters of Transit after uh, the, you know, the MacGuffin and Casablanca. Um, at some still undefined, uh, point in the near future, but, um, and what form do you see that podcast taking? Well, what, uh, what I want to do with it is, uh, just, I mean, the, the self-deprecating version is just talk with people about shit, but I mean, like the more kind of, I guess, you know, like accurate version would be like. Uh, having like really like you know 
deep and involved conversations with interesting people about mostly movies, but also, um, you know, current events, uh, the arts in general, mm-hmm. maybe a little politics, definitely a lot of sports. Uh, I'm a big uh, you know, sports dude uh, in, in the parlance. Um, Liam, do you like the sports balls and the the racket and the <laughs> get period? <your> side. <laughs> um, what Philadelphia team is your favorite, Liam? Uh, 76ers? Um, Flyers? Uh, the Phillies? Union? Oh, the Union. The Union. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the, the, the MLS team. Yep. It's all, it, Union boy. See, it's the only one I could see paying to see at this point. Let's put it. Let's put it out there. <laughs> what a distressing thing. I know. I'm, not, I'm just not a big. I'm not a big sports person. If someone wants to give me a free ticket to most sporting events, save maybe the 76ers, I would. Uh, <laughs> I would go and have fun, and that's fun. But what? That's fun. What fun is once fun. I leave the stadium? Uh, the fact that I'm supposed to care past that event is strange <laughs> and unfathomable to me. Denny, I think that you should definitely continue to pursue that podcast idea. Frankly, uh, a lot of the podcasts I listen to, um, there are people that we both know. In fact, all three of us know who I listen to, and I like their podcasts very much. But there's very little beyond opinion and criticism, and not much that usually breaks through the surface of who those individuals are. One of the things I usually tell people when I ask them to be on this podcast is, Eric Roberts is just an excuse to talk about other things. And that Mm. is... That is what I want out of the podcast. I want to get more of a sense of these people who I have a lot of respect for and who I love their writing and I love their podcasting and I love their personality and I want to experience that myself. And I think that that your idea, I think the it's it it sounds general enough that you can take it in all sorts of really interesting directions. Oh yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of uh, things that I want to do with it. I mean, I'm mainly at this point uh, constrained by my uh, technical maladroitness. Um, But I mean, like conceptually, I mean, I've got all kinds of shit that I want to do with it. Like one of the things I was talking with a friend of mine and another uh, podcaster um, was uh, talking to NBA players about movies. And that's one of the Mm. big things that I wanted to do. Cause I mean, cause guys, you know, they're on long ass road trips you know, they've got their tablet or their laptop with them and they've got all this time to kill when they're not, you know, like doing, you know, basketball directly basketball related stuff. Sure. And lots of them watch the shitloads of movies. And it's like, I want to find the cinephiles in the NBA and talk about both, you know, like basketball and, and movies with them. But, you know, hopefully I can pull that off. That sounds super interesting. Liam, what work are you currently involved in that people should give a shit about? Uh, I'm just going to say Cinepunks again. And what about your marriage? What about that? Oh yes. Well, that's uh, that's something I need to get back to work on as soon as possible. <laughs> but yes, cinepunks.com. You can find your podcast there yep. and the uh, other podcasts on that site. Yep. And of course, this is Hardcore Fest also coming up. Yep. Uh, oh, and uh, it's it's not finished yet, but I've also been working on the uh, Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest. Uh, oh, great! We nice. We haven't announced the lineup yet, uh, but uh, it's it's coming along pretty nicely. So uh, you know, I've been keeping up on that a little bit myself, just through social media, and I'm I'm super excited to see where that. Yeah. Goes. So please, 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 uh, if you are on the Twitters, follow at Groovy Fest, uh, which is the official Twitter of the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest. Um, yeah. So, and if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Liam Rules with a Z. Do you run that Bruce Campbell one? Uh, maybe I do. 
All right, I thought maybe you did. <laughs> you can, of course, find my writing over at dailygrindhouse.com. You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can find Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. You can also go to ericrobertsistheman.com and check out older episodes. Leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever. Also do a little search on Facebook. You can find our Facebook group where you can get all the latest behind-the-scenes gossip on Eric Roberts and his films and that's about it everybody we've run a little long today but if you love celebrity rehab boy you've got a lot to chew over i want to give a last thanks to danny bose and of course liam o'donnell and we'll be back in just two weeks talking about more eric roberts say good night everybody night good night goodbye night. good night eric roberts is the fucking man eric roberts is the fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man If there's anything that you can do Eric Roberts fucking can